and for Gene Shepard, humorist, after-dinner speaker, and recipient of the Mark Twain Award for 1976. a game is Lotto. <laughs> Lotto. <laughs> oh, wow. I suppose the same people who play Lotto also play Dominoes and also play uh, Monopoly. Right? I hate playing games. Little things where the, where the needle spins. Good God Almighty. Before we uh, start out tonight, we have a very important... Uh, it's been a long time since we have saluted the indomitable spirit of man. And the indomitable spirit of man, of course, continues to be indomitable, continues to uh, struggle forward against uh, obvious odds. Uh, for example, we would like to salute a Frenchman tonight. We haven't saluted Frenchmen recently. In Grenoble, a Frenchman, uh, Michel Letito who has made his name munching glasses and razor blades, announced last Sunday that his newest plan is to eat a bicycle. He intends to start the first of the year and finish three months later. I mean, what can you say? I mean, I mean you can think of all kinds of, you know, jazzy little quips to make. When I'm after the bicycle, what? Well, I would like to suggest that he start on a Ford Grenada. Or Grenada, if you prefer. <laughs> right up there. Although, I'd say this. It'd probably be easier to, uh, to eat a Chevy Vega or a Ford Grenada than a bicycle. What were those Reynolds wrap hoods and all that? Of course, you may have a little trouble with the balsa wood transmission. They get dry unless you put a little whipped cream on them. He's going to eat a bicycle right from the one sprocket all the way to the front wheel, including the chain. He could, yeah, 
He's looking forward to the seat. He says he's going to save that for Thanksgiving. Bring it up there. And of course, the handlebars, he's going to finish off with them. He says, and then, uh, sort of as a dessert, he's going to eat the little rubber handlebar, you know, little handlebar things there. <laughs> so, Michelle Lapito in Grenoble. Madore, Grenoble was also the home of another famed eccentric. Hold it there, hold it there, Ronnie. Just hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it. Keep it in the in abeyance there. We're going to use that. Sure, there's another famed eccentric came from Grenoble. Who? Stondahl. <laughs> you can say who? So he comes rightly by his uh, his uh, cuckoo birdism. Oh, of course, Stondahl was not a cuckoo bird, but he was an eccentric. Oh, yes. You can be very intelligent and at the same time very eccentric. As a matter of fact, uh, it is almost axiomatic that the more intelligent you are, the more eccentric you seem to your friends who have nothing but carrot salad between their ears. I mean, you know, a guy merely reading a book is eccentric to some people. <laughs> hey, you know, he sits around, come on, get off your duff, will you? What are you doing all the time? It hurts your eyes, you know, to read all that. Da -da 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 -da. Now, uh, on the other hand, uh, since we're dealing with the uh, man's uh, indomitable spirit tonight, there is a myth around that man will eventually be able to get together with other men. No way. There's two always conflicting, totally conflicting views on any given subject. Any subject. I mean, it's subject you wouldn't even believe that there's conflict. Do you know that there's a group in this world who believe that the world that we live on is flat? Sure. You mean you never heard of the flat earthers? Well, I'm telling you, there is a and they're very well organized, and they got chapters in every civilized country. They believe that the earth is flat, and that there's been all kinds of propaganda to convince people that the earth is round, and anyone who believes the earth is round is stupid. Look around. Look at it. It's flat. So <laughs> they're, they're the flat earthers. You don't know about them, huh? Well, all right. Let's take any given subject, say, such as the moon. Now, you'd say, well, the moon is up there. It has nothing to do with us, basically. It's up there. It, it uh, has, its own, uh, has its own thing going up there. It's been doing it for billions of years. It's just floating around out there in the firmament. And... Uh, you know, what could be, uh, where's the, uh, where's the argument about the moon? Well, there's two separate and distinct views of the moon. Do you want to hear two of them? Okay. All right. Would you please give me a little of that music we had in there? Here's a letter from a local newspaper written by a concerned lady. She deals with the moon here and the basic philosophy of the moon. She says, I did not and I will not watch these moon trips or the Viking trip. I believe that man is and are trespassing on the moon. Man was never given dominion over the universe, only over the earth. Man has no right to mess around with the moon because he is trespassing on somebody else's property. Man's heart and legs are not built to withstand the atmosphere in outer space. The fish does not leave its environment to try to sit in a tree and sing a song. 
Man should not mess around on the moon. I do not know how God can stand much longer when he looks down on his good earth and sees what we have done. Signed, a concerned Times reader. I wonder, I wonder how God feels, though. You know, that type of person also believes that God has made everything, you see. He also made man. He made him the way he is. I mean, you know, throwing beer cans out, yelling and hollering, riding up and down the road. At the, you know, you know what he does. Now, do you want to hear the other side of the moon? The other side of the moon philosophy. This is uh, from an advertisement in a local intellectual newspaper. The Festival of Humanity Looking Homeward to the Moon is sponsored by the Suburban Meditation Group. The Full Moon Meditation Group will meet next Wednesday at 8.30 in Cherry Hill looking towards our home, the moon. I wonder whether the Reverend Moon could have gone any place if his name was Fu Manchu. I doubt it. The Moon kind of gets people. That's why they, you know, the word lunar, lunacy, they're connected. Come on, play that thing. Thank you. <laughs> All right, that's enough. <laughs> no, you didn't know that. Huh? There were two, two so totally different views of the Moon. I mean, there's just no way. Uh, that you can ever reconcile man. And uh, I guess the basic uh, problem here is that man is, and I say this advisedly, a thinking animal. Oh, well, he is. He really is. Now, that doesn't mean he thinks well. <laughs> I mean, but he is a thinking animal. And uh, he, he does his thing, goes along now. Uh, and, and for example, here I got I got a letter from this this uh, kid here. Now you know kids are always sending me letters. They get thousands of letters from kids, and kids ask direct questions. They don't come on and get along and follow discussion of life. And they don't come on and say that was a very interesting thing you said last night about the natives of Samoa and none of that stuff. They come right out and kid says, "Dear Shepherd," that's a kid salutation. By the way, there's a thing among kids. I don't know whether that was true in your world as a kid. But especially male kids. Now, I don't know whether girl kids do this as much as male kids. And uh, I stand to be correct. Although all male, uh, all, although all girl kids, ex-girl kids listening, will automatically tell me, yes, they did it. <laughs> Before I even say it. So, <laughs> so we won't even say it. Now, uh, let's get... No, no, you did it. You did it. Of course you did. Of course you did. But uh, uh, male kids have a certain thing that they do. At a certain point in their life, they stop calling each other Donnie and Richie. And they start referring to each other by their last names. You know, Flick and Bruner, Schwartz. Uh, they, don't, they don't go around and say uh, Marilyn or Marcia. Uh, and whenever they refer to girls, though, the male kid, he hardly ever refers to them by their last name unless he's saying the whole thing like a Marsha Bugleblast, he may say something like that. But uh, he, he will never call her Bugle Blast. He simply calls her Marsha. But he will call all of his male friends at a certain point in life. He will call them by their last name. That's, I don't know why this is, you know, say, hey, Schwartz, you know, and you holler down the street. Well, 
years go by. See, this is the way man works. Years go by, and now the big thing, of course, wherever you are, is to call people by their first name. So you see your boss. You say, hello, Fred. You know, and he says, hello, uh, Howard. Of course, your name is Clarence. But it doesn't make any difference. He made a nice try. So... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the thing, the thing here is, is that <laughs> that there are male. That's a male kid thing, you know. He comes on. He's there's Shepherd. Now, nice old ladies will write to me and they'll say, uh, "Dear Mister Shepherd, your mother must have been a nice." You know, they'll go on like this. Made my mother. Well, that would have made my mother laugh like hell to see one of those letters. So uh, <laughs> I can always tell uh, the male guy. Often male types will write and say, "Dear Shep." Uh, this is older guys. See, they 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 think they're being with it. See, they say, dear Shep, or uh, something of that nature. But he says, dear Shepherd, please talk about hobbies and hobbies that you have had. It's the end of the letter. There it is, right there. <laughs> the kid. Well, it doesn't matter. It looks like any other letter. So uh, now that's a direct question. Now, kid, I don't know whether you want to hear that story or not. Now, hobbies. Uh, I have had hobbies which I look back upon with regret. Now, I've had hobbies which I look back upon with pleasure. There have been hobbies which I've been infinitely bored by. By the way, there are certain hobbies which are foisted off on you by grown-ups. For example, I one time... Oh, I hated this thing. I one time got from an aunt who was a very nice aunt, and it was for a birthday. I got a leather-working and wood-burning set. Now, wait a minute. Now, just a minute. Uh, This is is an activity that is foisted off upon kids by well-meaning adults. And uh, if there's anything more boring than sitting around punching holes in leather... I mean, you might as well get a job as a shoe repair man or something, you know. But but they, they, they gave me the set, and, and... and it had a it had a little stylus in it, you know, this kind of thing that you plug in. It looked like a little soldering iron. It had a cork handle on it, and you were supposed supposed to burn uh, designs in the leather and in wood. You were supposed to make designs on it, and they even had stencils that you could use. You see, and I hated it right from the minute I got it. Free. My mother kept saying, "Why don't you make a, a wallet?" Oh, gee, come on, Mom. Well, Aunt Glenn gave it to you, and she would be very pleased if you made a wallet. And I'd say, oh, Mom, I don't want to sit around. And like, I hear guys out there knocking out fly balls. And, uh, i got to sit around and make a wallet. Well, <laughs> I don't know why I'm telling you this stupid thing, but now, for years my mother used to say that. She says, uh, when, when she'd talk about hobbies, she'd say, well, do you remember when you used to make wallets? Do you remember when you had this hobby you used to make? I said, Mom, I never had a hobby like that. I hated it. It was not a hobby. It was a wart. It was a wart you put on me. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) oh, okay. Now, I'll tell you, you want to know a hobby that I had, kid? Okay. All right, I'll tell you a typical hobby. Now, hobbies, there are two kinds of hobbies, really. There's a lot of kinds of hobbies, but there's two basic types. There's the hobby that you get caught up in for just a brief period of time. And then you quickly forget it and you, you know, you regain your sanity. You go on and on and you go on. I wonder how many people have got a set of skis down in the basement they're embarrassed about. I mean, uh, 
Uh, well, the guitar is not really a hobby. It's an affliction. That's different. It's like cold sores. I'm talking about a hobby. I mean, uh, so, you know, a guy, guy says, you know what I ought to do? I think I'm going to take up tennis. And he goes out and he buys himself a $75 tennis racket and he gets all the shoes, you know, goes down and plays it a couple of times and it, he discovers all it is is hitting the ball back and forth. You know, he figured it was some mystical thing he'd get out of that. <laughs> and it's hitting the ball back and forth over a string. So, you know, he says, what am I doing? And then he quits. And there it is. It's, you know, it's, it drifts further and further back in the closet until finally it's back there with all those things that you pay too much to throw away. And uh, you feel a little stupid giving away. And so there it is. Now, what are some of the hobbies? Well, that's, that's a short-term hobby. It's a hobby that catches you suddenly and it disappears just as quickly. Uh, well, and uh, some of these hobbies, astrology. Some people get into that for about 10 days and then that's gone. Is, is uh, for example, uh, uh, fad diets. Believe it or not, this is a hobby with a lot of people. They go on the uh, celery and pimento, take nine inches off in five minutes diet. You know, that kind of thing. <laughs> they they, you know, they're always doing this stuff. So uh, that's a hobby. It has nothing to do with losing weight or, or changing your life. It's a hobby. But now that's, that's the kind of hobby that you, you know, you can get into for about five minutes and it's gone. Now then there's the lifetime hobby. Like, uh, well, by the way, chasing women is not a hobby. No, a lot of people think it is. It's not a hobby. It's, uh, it's a glandular function. And uh, it, it's far more primal than hobbies. It's, uh, it's uh, you know, it, it goes back to our ancient primal past and has not much to do with a ho- A hobby is something totally useless, remember that, like hitting a ball back and forth over a string. I mean, no, uh, the, the human race is not going to be any better because of Jimmy Connors' backhand. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's totally useless. It may be fun, but useless. Now... I'll give you an example of a hobby. Now, this is a type of hobby. Now, hobbies are often, uh, it's hard to explain them after you've been in them, why you were in this hobby. Oh, yes, I, I, uh, it's very difficult to explain to people why, say, you bought a $700 loom and you started to make your own rugs. <laughs> I mean... It's not easy to explain because you can buy a rug for 150 bucks, better than you'll ever make. And, 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 but it's very difficult to explain. Now, you've got this whole room. I know a guy. Listen, I know a guy whose great affliction was his wife went into that stuff. And she was going yeah, to weave her own everything. She was going to weave her own house, I guess, make it entirely out of yarn. And, and uh, she got into that. She really, and they went out and they bought this very expensive Swedish loom that filled up an entire bedroom. That was a real loom. I mean, not the little kind where you sit there and play around with on the table. This was a loom, you know. Like the kind you, you, you see the slave labor pictures. It says children working at looms in the 1830s, that kind of loom. So they had this whole loom. It was filled up the whole room. Yeah, and she used it about 12 minutes. She got the damn loom, put all the stuff in, put all the yarn in, and started to work it, and her legs started to get tired. <laughs> she, she discovered why it was called slave labor. And at that point, the loom now occupies a whole room in their house. You can't give away a whole 
room-sized Swedish loom that you can weave a 9 by 12 rug on. That's not easy to give to people. And it's even harder to sell. So, uh, so they've got this whole room. This guy happens to be, incidentally, a well-known television star whose name I will not tell you. Media say, whoa! <laughs> but uh, it, it caused a rift between he and his wife that has never yet been quite patched up because they keep walking past the loom. And there it is. So uh, that kind of hobby is very hard to explain afterwards. Now, you can come up and say, well, yeah, but we needed a rug. Well, that's not enough reason. You can call up Macy's and get a rug. (laughs) I wanted to express myself. Well, there's a lot of different ways to express yourself than to buy a 7,000-pound loom and sit there and work your feet up and down and get one-tenth of a rug done and then quit. How come you don't express yourself now on it? Well, <laughs> well, my needs have gotten different. They go on and on with that kind of jazz. But nevertheless, uh, there are all kinds of hobbies. And kid, you ask a question, I'm going to tell you a hobby, which caught me like uh, right at the right where I where I count. You know, at one point, uh, the hobby was a two pronged hobby. And it still affects me. Now, I'll tell you what the hobby was. Now, you know, kid, when you walk around the street, see, most of the hobbies that I was involved in were outdoor hobbies. I had no indoor hobbies except sleeping and uh, eating fig bars. So my life was an outdoor life. I was not indoor. I think there are two kinds of kids, believe me, kids whose lives are are centered on the house, inside the house, in fact, and then there are kids whose lives are centered on the vacant lot three blocks away. And those two will never get together. Uh, I, I am immediately bored when I sit around in a house too long. <laughs> I mean, anybody's house. Now, other people love the house thing. I've never been a nester. Nesting is for nuthatches. You know the nuthatch? You know what is it, a nuthatch? I mean, that's what, uh, what's his name, Gerardo Rivera is always editorializing about. But (laughs) nevertheless, here I am, you know. I'm a kid, so hobbies are infectious, you see. They go from one to the other. Now, I, I had been also... Somebody had foisted off the stamp-collecting hobby on me. Because for a birthday once, I got a stamp album, and they kept giving me stamps. I, I am not a stamp collector, never was a stamp collector, and I don't like stamp collecting. Okay, all right. Nothing wrong with stamp collecting, if you're into it, I suppose. It's just not my thing. I find tennis boring. Yes, I do. Sorry. In fact, one of the most boring things I can think of is to spend an afternoon at the average Broadway production. Okay. So does that show I have a lack? No, it shows I'm different. See, I, I think in terms of out things. So anyway, I'm, I'm one day, I am, I'm sitting there, and this guy named Jack Morton comes over, see, and uh, I am eating a stick of Wrigley gum. This is the way the hobby began. I remember distinctly how it happened. And Morton says to me, 
He says, can I have that wrapper? I said, what, you want a wrapper? He says, yeah, I saved them wrappers. I see save Wrigley gum wrappers? He says, yeah. I said, what for? Well, I was tinfoiling them. Well, I said, tinfoil? Yeah, you know, they had tinfoil around the gum, see? He said, yeah, I take, I see, he said, I strip the paper off the back, and I get the tinfoil, and I save the tinfoil. I said, what for? It's a tinfoil. Don't you know how valuable tinfoil is? I said, I never thought of it. And then it began to develop like an avalanche, like the swine flu. <laughs> I mean, Schwartz and me and Flick and Jack Morton would spend all of our waking days and nights walking around the streets looking down in the curb for wrappers of any kind. As long as they contained tinfoil. In those days, cigarettes had tinfoil inside of them. Like old golds had tinfoil. And lucky strikes had tinfoil. And we would spend, and each of us would take this little gunny sack like we carried around that we got a five-pound potato gunny sack, you know, that kind of, that has that little, uh, yeah, they're not really gunny sacks, those little net bags that you get where they have onions in them, okay, and they're orange. And we used to get these bags, see, and they're great for carrying uh, used gum wrappers around, kid, if you want to go into this hobby. It's a very exciting hobby. And we would walk around and collect gum wrappers. Well, then we began to branch out, you see. We discovered that there was tinfoil in uh, condensers and stuff, which they had in the junkyards, burned out condensers and stuff. Down at the, you know, automobile condensers have tinfoil in them, wrapped all up with the dielectric. See? So we, dielectric, I'm sorry. So we, dielectric, of course, that's what they use on the radio. So we would go down the road and we would pick up all this stuff. Then we would go to the junkyard, get old used condensers, and slowly but surely, my ball of tinfoil, and you make your tinfoil into a ball, kid. No, not a little thing. You make it into a ball, a ball, round. And you just keep adding to that. Well, at first, it's discouraging because your ball of tinfoil is about the size of a ping-pong ball. And you pack it down as hard as you can. You've got to remember that, see. Well, then it begins to grow and grow and grow and grow and grow. And you look for tinfoil everywhere. Everywhere. Tinfoil becomes a major preoccupation. Do you know that even to this day, kid, uh, a, 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 uh, a hobby can affect your whole life. You never forget it. Do you know to this day, I find it difficult to throw away Reynolds wrap. That's tinfoil, kid. And virgin tinfoil. That's great tinfoil. And, and so my tinfoil ball began to get bigger and bigger. And, of course, there's a, a competition. All hobbies are based roughly on competition. I mean, even stamp collecting. So one guy has a blue Mauritius. He's the number one stamp collector in the world. He's competing with all the guys that have, the you know, the cheapos. And <laughs> so it's competition. The greatest art collection and so forth. Well, the tinfoil ball, tinfoil ball that I worked on all that year, got bigger and bigger and bigger until finally my tinfoil ball 
was about the size, I would say, of your average NBA basketball. It was so big. Well, sure, you walk around. You just walk around the streets long enough picking up junk, and incidentally, you'd be surprised at what you see if you really seriously study the gutters. You find all kinds of fantastic stuff. I found fountain pens. I found 50-cent pieces. Yes, you just walk along the street and look down. You know, there are guys in this town who live on that, who do nothing but pay their rent and live on just walking around the city, looking down at the street and finding nickels and dimes, keys and quarters and purses and all kinds of stuff. You find incredible guitar picks. You find, uh, uh, you know, stuff you would never expect to find, like half an earmuff. You find, you know, you just walk around, you see this stuff. Well, I began to collect this tinfoil, and now at the end of the year, I had a tinfoil ball. I would say that was even bigger than a basketball. It weighed so much that I could not lift it. I had to roll it. Seriously, it must have weighed 100 pounds. I mean, you know, it was a pack 100 pounds, and I rolled it around the floor. Schwartz's tinfoil ball, and of course he was cheating because he had an old man that worked in a place like a, like a, some place where they had a lot of tinfoil that they used to wrap stuff at his office and all that stuff. So he was cheating. You know, he had a ball about the size of oh uh, Grant's tomb. You know, and Flick had this great big ball down in the basement, and all of us were working on these balls. You know, getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Well, suddenly, about a year and a half later. Just like that. Just like that, I discovered a whole different hobby. What? It's not important what. What is important is that my tinfoil ball was forgotten, but it did not go away. A 200 pound of tinfoil ball does not go away that quick. Where is it? Well, just as recent as last. Hmm. Thanksgiving, I got a call from my mother and says, what are you going to do with that tinfoil ball that's under the steps down in the basement? It's still there. So, kid, hobbies, I don't know. Do you know that there's a farmer out in Euclid, Ohio? I saw a picture of which I have in my vast pile of trivia. Has a ball of string that he has saved. He's about 87 years old. He started to save it when he was six. He has a ball of string that's 16 feet high. That's two stories. He is willing it to the county as an objet d'art. I mean, at the very least, it's no sillier than a pyramid. <laughs> of course, you can't sell postcards, but on the other hand, maybe you can, you know? So, kid, that's the hobby. You ask a question, kid, you get an answer. I'll tell you about the next hobby I discovered in future issues. You've been listening to Gene Shepard, humorist, author, and recipient of the Mark Twain Award for 1976.